Welcome to Chip Chat, an interview series that connects you with technology experts around the issues that industry is focused on today. And now your host, Allison Klein. Welcome to Chip Chat. We're coming to you live from the OpenStack Summit in Paris. I'm Allison Klein, and I'm delighted to have Rishi Bhargava with me today. Rishi, how's it going? Going great. It's been a fabulous half day at the summit. So Rishi, you had a, a big start to your day. Why don't you tell the audience what you did? Well, uh, this morning, as part of the keynote, uh, first day keynotes, uh, Intel uh, is one of the headline sponsors. So we were participants in a keynote panel, and I represented Intel in that panel. So it was uh, a great start, definitely for Intel and for me. And obviously, we know each other, Rishi, but I don't think you've ever been on Chip Chat before. Can you give uh, the audience a little bit of background about uh, your, your scope of responsibilities at Intel and how that relates to OpenStack? Uh, I currently work in the IT organization, and I run the hybrid cloud program, and the pro- I'm the product owner for that. And what that really means is uh, we have an enterprise and office uh, cloud, which is existing today. And what we are doing, developing a, a hybrid cloud moving forward, which basically uh, scopes out to all the enterprise apps and the office apps uh, in the corporation, and uh, basically applications which each of the 100,000 employees use in their day-to-day life. And uh, we provide the hosting platform for that. Now, I've heard you talk about this before. Can you share a little bit about the history of Intel's use of OpenStack, why we selected this as a a direction that we wanted to take IT, and and what the experience has been thus far? Okay. Uh, We started our... uh, virtualization journey. You know, as you probably heard in the OpenStack uh, Jonathan's keynote, most of the times when it's an IT uh, talk, it's about virtualization. Mm -hmm. It's technology and it's virtualization. Uh, And that's pretty much exactly what we started, which we call Intel Cloud 1.0. We uh, uh, started with 13% virtualization. Uh, This was about in 2008, nine time frame. And uh, thereafter, we increased it gradually. And today, uh, we are at about 75 plus, uh, to be precise, we are at 77 point some percent virtualized. Uh, and the journey for that was uh, we uh, first was plain virtualization uh, game. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, uh, for it played multiple uh, roles for us. One, it provided us cost benefits for mm-hmm. Intel, uh, as well as from a Intel's product perspective, Intel was driving the virtualization technology, uh, you know, in the marketplace. And so we were good uh, uh, we demonstrated that, that we were eating our own dog food first. Right, sure. Right? And then uh, as we moved forward, uh, and, 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 you know, even for physical servers, it used to take a long time to provision, you know, be, uh, right. provisioning and ordering stuff. So then people wanted to start consuming, and they wanted VMs instead of uh, just uh, physical servers. And uh, instead of waiting for an IT person to provision in the back end, they wanted to do self-service. So with the self-service is when we said, Okay, let's. Uh, we chose OpenStack. Mm-hmm. Uh, we compared a few of the other tech, uh, competitors, and we landed up with OpenStack because of the uh, you know vast adoption in the community, and because it had such a wide uh, you know impact in the overall open source community. We uh, chose to go that route. And uh, once we chose that, I don't think it was a wrong decision because, as you see, even in the summit, there's a huge momentum behind it, and it was a good decision. 
So what started as an effort in efficiency became an effort in automation of services, and, and that's where the where the transition has been within IT or, the IT organization. Um, when you talk to your colleagues from other companies at a conference like OpenStack Summit, um, where do you think broader IT enterprise IT is in terms of this journey? And you know what can the industry do to help accelerate this transition? So I would say we are, you know, though we call ourselves as Intel Cloud 2.5 to 3 mm-hmm. uh, generation, most of the industry is still at 1.5, the enterprise shops. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they've moved away, they moved past the virtualization and to provide self-service provisioning and self-service capability, they are getting there. And uh, from, uh, you know, and then the question of becoming a hybrid cloud provider is uh, that's where mm-hmm. we are getting towards. Now, what uh, the what can the community do to make it much more viable? I think uh, it's the, you know, the resistance from the incumbents. That's the philosophy which a lot of enterprise shops feel. Because if you are having a proprietary stack, which is, uh, you know, provided to you and you're running with it, uh, there is resistance from the people who are running, uh, who know uh, only how to operate that. But this requires a huge amount of change, uh, one in the thought process of the leadership, then also the uh, capability of the workforce. Workforce, uh, Workforce transformation needs to occur. Intel and IT invested a huge amount. It's a two-year effort which we've gone through of transforming the entire, uh, you know, 300 people organization by uh, making them much more uh, automation uh, friendly, you know, not only friendly, but uh, uh, trained to do automation rather than press uh, buttons on a screen uh, UI right. kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that thought process change is what is key in driving enterprises to move towards this movement. So I was listening to uh, Stefan Lenz from BMW talk uh, today, and he said that one of the struggles they were having uh, was the number and frequency of code um, releases from OpenStack and the fact that there was a lot of changes from release to release. Um, Is that just the nature of an open source initiative, and and how should enterprise deal with this type of uh, fast development? So that is a very important point what you raise, and we struggled with the same thing. And you know, we always felt that there was a huge. uh, If we made some changes too, that would be we would incur technical debt, or we would also be behind from what the code release was. And Mm -hmm. uh, so, a couple of things need to happen. One is the stability of the code from. OpenStack needs to be going up. And then a lot of the consumers need to implement what they call CICD. And that's something which we have done. So there's a pipeline where there's constant uh, inflow from the developer community. Mm -hmm. And then you have a, it's almost like a pipeline where you can consume as you go. Okay. And but uh, you design your internal inflow pipeline in a way that uh, constant change can occur, and then uh, you don't have to be bound for uh, downtimes with that. Or you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's almost like a framework which you have to implement. Right. And it has it took us a long time. Uh, you know what uh, the developers saying? Oh, implementing CI/CD would take five weeks or maybe eight weeks to do mm-hmm. it. And you know, you ask them for what give give me a, you know a high confidence number, and they'll say eight weeks. But it actually took much much more, three times that, mm-hmm. to actually develop a good CI/CD framework. And now I would say we are at eighty percent deployment of that CI/CD framework in our IT organization, which is uh, helping us uh, get that agility of 
you know, constant change at the developer end. And do you think that that helps you also address the fact that you've got two parallel paths of development, one from the core code developers and one from what Intel is doing uh, internally, or so is that even no, a different actually, problem? actually, what we are doing internally, we have we would have to do it with even if we didn't go with OpenStack, even if we went with some proprietary uh, provider, we would have to do that. Mm-hmm. So the development which our enterprise IT organization does is what I would call the last mile integration. And if we confirm that into you know a framework, I think uh, now even if I have to swap out OpenStack with some next generation OpenStack you know, if something else comes up. This integration should be still valid mm-hmm. as long as we do it right. Now, you talked about the fact that IT has, Intel IT has been going under a multi-year transition into a new um, workforce that's focused on automation, friendly towards automation. Now, obviously, that frees up some cycles to do other things mm-hmm. uh, rather than just, you know, manually provisioning services. Right. What kind of changes have you seen in terms of the types of projects or the types of work that you guys are able to accomplish now, now that you've got maybe over over that hump? So two, two kinds of efforts have happened. One is, uh, of course, contributing back to the community. You know, mm-hmm. we have had a significant number of IT employees. Typically, it's an open source development group, open source technology center, which Intel has, or the product groups where they contribute back into the open stack community or Linux, wherever, you know, the open source work is happening. But you'll see a lot of IT employees contributing back to the community. So that is one contribution upstream. Then the other part is how do we make it more consum- uh, consumable for our customers? So now they are a lot of our employees are because of their understanding which they have developed of the automation techniques on how to develop cloud-aware applications. They are now going and working for our consumer groups, going sure. and deploying cloud-aware applications. Because you know, if we deploy the best cloud infrastructure, it's not going to be providing the kind of uh, uh, you know value unless you develop uh, change your uh, applications from traditional enterprise apps to become cloud aware enterprise apps and today the percentage of that you know is very low so we have to transform our consumers that's interesting. I, I think Kathy Spence would be happy that you uh, pointed out cloud aware application development mm-hmm. yep yep, yep. Um, so, so Rushui, I think we need to work on an intro for you for the next time you give a keynote because the BMW guy had the BMW i8 on stage. So what do you think we could bring out for wow. Intel? Wow. Wow. No, I have to think about it. I mean, we, that we, might be something which I have to think uh, and something lit- which has to compete with uh, the a BMW. I, I mean, that's that's eye candy right there. I'm not sure what you can do. You know, people. I, I don't even know how to respond wafers. to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I w- just have one last question mm-hmm. for you. Um, we're here all week in Paris at the OpenStack Summit. What is the thing that you hope to take away from this week in terms of what's going on in the broader community and how that will influence Intel's uh, decisions moving forward? So, you know, as an IT person, you know, not wearing the overall Intel hat, as an IT uh, manager, I want to find out, for me, my storage deployments have been uh, my bane. Mm -hmm. I would love to talk to some uh, uh, other enterprise customers uh, like Intel uh, and how they're dealing with um, block storage deployments. You know, what are the challenges they face in uh, deploying uh, block storage, which is not uh, only capable, but also cost compatible. Sure. You know, because I, I think today that is my biggest challenge. It seems like storage is quite a big focus at the summit. Um, we'll be looking for those stories. Yep, yep, yep. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your week to make time for Chip Chat. Thank you. It's my pleasure. 
Welcome back to Chip Chat live from OpenStack Summit in Paris. I have a fellow Portlander with me, Alex Williams, all the way from my hometown. And uh, he is the lead of the new stack and has been on the program before. Welcome, Alex. Hi, great to be here. So usually I'm sitting across from you at a coffee shop in yeah. Portland, and here we are in central Paris. Um, I should say bonjour, I suppose. But um, what do you think about this summit? There's a lot of people here. There are a lot of people here, and the activity is tremendous. And just the, I think the increase in the scope of the of OpenStack is noteworthy. I think there's about 100 projects now in OpenStack. Mm-hmm. And just to understand the breadth of that, has to be um, a task for uh, the user. When you look at this, and I know you've been following OpenStack for quite a long time, where do you think we are in terms of companies actually deploying OpenStack in mainstream environments? And what do you think is the the key takeaway that you felt thus far um, from the show compared to, let's say, even you know six months ago at the last summit? Well, I, I think one way to you know, determine its, you know, its growth is just in looking inside the uh, meeting rooms where they're having these sessions. And I passed several rooms that were just packed to the rim, you know, just trying, people just, you know, lining up against the walls just to hear what, you know, was being said. And I think that shows that there is a kind of a, a deeper user community than we've, than we've had before. Now, the new stack is doing a, a ton of stuff right. at the summit. You right. want to just talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, we uh, are having an event tonight, uh, and the event is focusing on Docker container ecosystems and orchestration. Mm-hmm. And we will have uh, Martin Mikos there speaking. We will have Bernard Golden of Active State, engineers from Rackspace and Docker, and Billy from Intel. So why did you choose Docker? I mean, I shouldn't ask the question because that's a, you know, the, one of the hottest yeah. topics around. But what is, the, what is the reason why you're driving Docker for this particular meetup? I, this is the third meetup that we've done um, since uh, beginning of October. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do, um, uh, I wanted to do them thematically, and, and Docker has been such a topic of discussion. And I think it also kind of talks to the the increasing complexity of distributed infrastructure and just kind of the workloads that we're having and the amount of data that we're seeing in these mm-hmm. workloads. And the complexity that is required of that is it does mean, I think, that Docker does have a wider, you know, degree of acceptance. Um, people just like to use it because it's simple and you can share, you can share it as well. And I think that's a right. big thing. Um, and so that makes the, that makes kind of the, that makes kind of the whole process of developing a cloud computing infrastructure and actually managing it much more collaborative. Mm-hmm. And so I think those are themes we've seen for several years. We've seen that come out of GitHub, for example, right. in particular. And I think now Docker is kind of another, um, as another, you know, school of collaboration, if you want to use that word. So that was really the, the impetus for it. I had not heard much about Docker in the context of OpenStack. And so our, our focus tonight is really to 
help just clarify, help understand what that context is. Mm-hmm. What other things have you heard thus far? I know it's early in the event, but what are the most salient things that you've taken away in terms of points of conversation from the keynotes or other sessions you might have attended? Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things I've been hearing is this convergence of big data, so to speak, and private clouds. Mm -hmm. Um, And they seem to be, there seems to be a corollary there. Mm-hmm. And so companies that are looking to you know, build out their own infrastructures are also thinking of their own data and how they manage that. And so that to me, that to me was one of the most aha moments I've had so far. Because that says to me, okay, there's this recognition that, they, that, you know, that data is just so, it just, just has to be processed in such volumes that mm-hmm. there ne- needs to be understood better and kind of upgrading your infrastructure is one way to do that. Well, and it seems that people are getting much more sophisticated about looking at their own data and, and marrying that with public data that's available to get to better decisions. Right. Um, did you hear any, anybody in particular talk about this in terms of a use case? Uh, use case. Um, I'm hearing it mostly just in... You know, that's just the thing about OpenStack. I'm just hearing it mostly in... Hallway conversations and things like that. Yeah, but the CERN story, I think, is reflective of that. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that what they're trying to do is is a reflection of, like, that need to manage data in a different kind of a way. Well, yeah, they they do have quite a lot of data that's coming out of (laughs) that super collider. (laughs) Yeah. And that was an impressive presentation. That that applesauce. Mm Exactly. (laughs) I think that they won an award today. Yeah, they the did. Super user of the year or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah. And I think they're a good poster, you know, poster example of, you know, the, the need to really manage your data in, a diff- in wholly different kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. When you take a look at the types of folks that are coming to OpenStack, um, what do you think the audience is comp- thinking about? You know, core industry developers and. IT organizations that are attending, and, and where do you think that's going? Well, I think the the project. I think I, you know, I think again the, the community here is reflective of OpenStack's maturity. Now you don't you, you you get a different kind of a developer here, right? It's like and there'll be events where you'll see you know the developer tool companies that will. Uh, you know, that will be talking about, you know, different monitoring capabilities or, you know, documentation uh, techniques. And uh, you don't see that as much here. I think it's much more of an IT-centric kind of a crowd. I don't see the developers in this part of the building. Now, over in the developer, you know, across the street at the hotel, mm-hmm. there are a lot of discussions going on over there that are much, they're very developer-focused. Um, so, for example, um, uh, I was hearing some discussions about kind of like, you know, what is the relationship between uh, Swift and Ceph, right? Mm-hmm. And how are those different storage environments working together? So over there, I think you, it's almost like that's the DNA of OpenSAC right. over in the Meridian. You know, how to you, work with it. Yeah, how do you know, mm-hmm. like they're trying to figure out these, you know, the, these, these issues. I mean, for example... Uh, yeah, there was that Swift Ceph discussion I was I, that that I was hearing. Um, 
I think it's also, you know, very much true in what you're hearing, like coming out of like, how is Nova, you know, changing, mm -hmm. right? You know, um, and how does Nova change with the advent of Docker containers, right? Mm -hmm. Or any kind of container for that matter. And so I think the developers here are really kind of, re they're, they're reflective of that enterprise community. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, on this side of the, you know, over here in Palais Royale, I almost think there's a lot of kind of a, a deeper kind of group of IT folks. Yeah, I, I was walking through the uh, booth communities, and it seems like major proliferation of OpenStack um, providers. Yeah. Um, or products that, you know, have an adjacency with OpenStack. And then the big players as well. I mean, right. Intel is obviously here. I saw IBM, HP, Red Hat, Cisco, et cetera. So all the people that you'd expect. Anybody that you were surprised to see? Anyone I was surprised to see here in terms of, in terms of the, the providers mm -hmm. that would be interested in where OpenStack is going and have a vested interest in it. Um, I haven't noticed anyone in particular. I just think there's a lot more here than I've ever seen before. Mm -hmm. um, that to me is the most interesting. You know, the fact that there's just so many more providers here. I did see Oracle over in one corner, and I was curious why they're here. <laughs> I, I don't always associate them with OpenStack, though they are members. And uh, so they're, they're probably the most surprising one for me to see. Mm -hmm. I think that their tagline is enterprise class OpenStack. I'm not quite sure what that means. <laughs> um, well, I, I think that it's going to be a great week. Yeah. Um, what are the highlights for you coming up this week in terms of things that you want to check out? I want to get a clear picture again of, of where containers are in terms of the Docker, in terms of the OpenStack ecosystem. I'm very interested in the networking story. I mm -hmm. think the networking story is going to be um, something that we hear more about. I think if there was another big theme that I heard today was about OpenStack and building this the programmable cloud. Mm -hmm. And there's this then... I think then that does precipitate the need to think more about, you know, the, the, you know, the networking. For sure. And so I'm really interested in that. I'm actually working on a story on that topic because I just think that it's going to be a that's going to be a big one. Because the way it is now is, is the networking is just too complicated, For sure. you know, and and it's just too hard to do. So, like, basically, you know, you just you just you just route everything into one machine. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and so. You know, I'm hearing these concepts of like almost like creating networking pools, right? And so the pools and, you know, almost it almost creates kind of like almost a semantic relationship, mm -hmm. which then helps under, which kind of has an, a universal policy overlay on it. And well, so that's an sure. interesting topic. You know, I think that you could argue that the true value of OpenStack or any orchestrator is not achieved until you have... Um, underlying resources that can be automated. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, you know, you're not, you're not really controlling your underlying infrastructure in an intelligent manner. Right. So, right. you know, the, the network storage infrastructure, those are the two key things in terms of getting infrastructure ready to be orchestrated in an intelligent manner. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's going to be a very interesting topic to follow. I think so. Um, you know, you've hit on both of them. I guess the, the other question is, you know, the, the trust in an open source orchestrator right. in enterprise environments. And, and 
for that matter, in telco environments. There's been a lot of talk about, mm-hmm. you know, the core network of telco looking at OpenStack as yeah. a solution. And, you know, they're even more um, antsy, for lack of a better word, about, yeah. about uh, change and, and, you know, open source deployments in, in the core seems to be pretty uh, avant-garde for them. Have you been seeing anything or attending any of those sessions? In the telco realm, I have not attended any sessions in the telco realm, but I think you hit on a kind of a key key issue that the telcos have to face, and that's how are they they going to be more programmably oriented, Mm -hmm. really? And you see that, I think, from like, you see that initially from companies like CenturyLink who are starting to understand it better. And I think that, you know, they're, they're, they're slowly trying to spread, you know, spread internally this idea of, you know, agile development and such, you know, you know, building out that, those Mm -hmm. kind of practices, you know, there's, and I think Swisscom is another good example of that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, so it's slowly taking hold, but it's, it's not, they're, 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 they're not kind of standing out mm-hmm. for me at least so alex this is the first time you've been on the program since you launched the new stack yes do you want to tell us just a little bit about the new stack and and it, you know why you decided that yeah. it was time to launch a new platform yeah um well thank you for asking the, the new stack i define it as services and software on sophisticated fast and distributed infrastructure as well as nodes, because I think you need to start thinking more about the Internet of Things, mm-hmm. right? And and how anything is possibly a node. And really what we're looking at are the, these new stacks that developers are building and how they're being managed. And so that has given me, I think, um, you know, that, that's given me, I think, some sense of how significant these shifts are. And that was part of why I wanted to do this, because I was very interested in, like, really seeing how deep we could go into these topics. Mm-hmm. And from my, cause my, from my perspective, I don't think there was the need for another enterprise block. Mm-hmm. And because I think the, the term enterprise um, is used as a catch-all in the tech media world. And instead, I think what we're looking at, again, are all these different kinds of stacks that are being developed, you know, and they're being developed by all kinds of companies, be they enterprise or, or whoever. And so that has been a lot of fun to kind of cover it from that angle. Um, and that's what I really wanted to do when I started it, because I felt just like there's just such a rich, you know, underserved community there, um, that, you know, that, that we could, uh, you know, really talk to. And so far, it's been a great deal of fun. Well, I've been reading it quite a bit. If you're listening online, check it out. The URL is thenewstack.io. Is that right? That's right. And um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of content up this week yes. about the summit. So if you're following along from home I will, or didn't I will, make it to Paris, check it out. Yeah, there's actually we're actually going to be posting today um, a guide to the Juno release. We did some data research on uh, the uh, integrated releases out of Juno and looking at the uh, highlights from the blueprints. Fantastic. 
Well, thank you for taking some time out of your week at OpenStack Summit to spend some time with Chip Chat, and I hope to catch up with you at your meetup tonight. Yeah, I hope so too. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Welcome back to Chip Chat. We're recording live from the OpenStack Summit in Paris. I'm Allison Klein, and I'm delighted to have Boris Rensky, co-founder and CMO of Morantis, with us. Welcome, Boris. Thank you, Allison. Good to be here. So Morantis is a huge name in terms of the OpenStack community. Why don't you just introduce the company uh, when you were founded and, and where you're at today? Yeah, sure. So we've started out pretty much um, together with uh, the birth of OpenStack, um, maybe a little bit after uh, 2011, where mm-hmm. we really kind of focused everything that we do on on OpenStack. And uh, we had a very peculiar kind of a view of the market. OpenStack just started to become noticed by, by the bigger folks at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a lot of uh, startups sprouting right and left. Um, and most startups, they kind of took a view that uh, OpenStack is uh, basically a bunch of uh, open code that they can leverage to uh, ultimately build some sort of targeted solution to either compete with something like Amazon or compete with something like VMware or Microsoft or you name it. Um, and uh, we kind of had a completely different vision. We saw OpenStack as this uh, disruptive movement, and mm-hmm. we said that uh, OpenStack movement will fight the battle uh, against the Amazon and the VMware and the Microsoft for us. What we need to do is uh, find the right business model where anybody that has already bought into the OpenStack vision and decided that, yes, OpenStack is the right thing for me, will have Mirantis as the number one vendor in their mind. So with that kind of philosophy in mind, we're very peculiar uh, with respect to how we evolved the company. So we looked at things like at the totality of things that uh, you know organizations would come to uh, OpenStack for uh, and what would they pay, pay money for. And uh, the first thing during the very early stages of uh, any open source project, but OpenStack in particular, that we're convinced people pay money for is just services. Right. The project is early, the players haven't kind of hashed themselves out, it's not clear who's going to stay, who's going to die, but it's an open platform, people want to take advantage of it, and it's a complex platform, so they need help uh, in doing so. So the first iteration uh, kind of, uh, of, of company evolution, which was, I would say, 2011 to um, maybe 2013, was really focused on positioning ourselves as kind of the go-to company for OpenStack services. And as such, um, we were able to very quickly build a name for ourselves. We had some um, advantageous assets. We had uh, protected pools of talent in Poland and Ukraine and Russia that were hard to get to for many of the venture-funded startups in the Silicon Valley. Uh, We could afford to use this talent to deliver services to the customers. And uh, we've seen an enormous amount of growth and momentum just as a services company during the first two years. Uh, But uh, we never really had an aspiration to just remain the services company. We understood that the ecosystem will evolve. And uh, as OpenStack will become kind of big and will be used everywhere, services will naturally commoditize. So our long-term game was always to find a way to build a leveraged business model, uh, which you know, in open source, the way to do it is to have your own distribution and sell subscription. So um, about a year 
and a half ago, uh, we've launched our distribution, uh, which is Marentis OpenStack. Um, and uh, you know, the, the kind of interesting thing about it is, uh, you know, there's a few interesting things about it. First, is um, unlike any other distributions, OpenStack distributions on the market. Um, we, for the virtue of being kind of a pure play OpenStack vendor, focusing only on OpenStack, in figuring out uh, what kind of uh, configurations our distribution will encompass, mm -hmm. we weren't encumbered by the existing portfolio of products that we had. So if you look at, uh, for example, Canonical, they had Ubuntu, and they have Mass and Juju, and they had OpenStack as kind of a thing that weaves in there. Right. Red Hat, same exact thing. We looked at it completely different. So we just focus on OpenStack. We take a look at uh, all the kind of usage repeatability patterns among our customers that we've engaged with through services, and uh, we build our distribution based on that. Don't go from kind of here's a product we have and here's how we're going to evolve our distribution. Just look at how the customers use OpenStack. What are the use cases? What is the underlying host OS? What are the common deployment topologies? What is preferred hypervisor? What are preferred networking scheme? Mm -hmm. And um, uh, basically codify those configurations inside of our distribution. And uh, we've gradually evolved it. So we've started out just with services. Then we moved on to kind of a, a period where we come to the customer, they say, we want OpenStack like this and like that. We'd say, okay, well, we can build it like that for you with custom services, or we already have prepackaged bits right. that encompass 10 configurations that may be slightly you know, deviating from what you want, but if you subscribe to the standard distribution, um, you have the continuity story, the support story, and it's going to be much cheaper right out of the gate. Or we can still build you the custom thing. So a lot of customers still in the early days said, we want the custom thing forget the distribution. But many started to actually start you know, buying into this mindset of, okay, mm -hmm. I need upgrades, I need supportability long term, and started buying distribution. So by the time we launched, about a year and a half ago, we already had 20 subscription customers. Nice. So, Today, um, you know, um, our kind of long-term strategic focus is on naturally growing our subscription business. Um, we still are continuing to invest in services. Um, and uh, another thing that uh, we are very keen on is uh, training that uh, we've introduced, you know, mm -hmm. sometime in conjunction of services, training and certification of OpenStack. So uh, to, to sum it up, um, you know, we are today the, the largest kind of independent, uh, what we like to call pure play OpenStack vendor. Uh, Three, three ways we make money. One is services, uh, another one's training certification, and finally third, and the most important one for us as a company, is selling subscription to our Merentis um, OpenStack distribution. Now, Boris, you've been around since almost the beginning of, of the OpenStack community, and, and one of the things that's interesting is that every time we come back to the summit, there seems to be more and more providers of OpenStack solutions. What do you think sets Mirantis apart, and do you think that we're going to see kind of a um, consolidation of that market as we move forward? Well, I think that, uh, first, uh, I won't necessarily agree that we see more and more. We see more and more of ecosystem providers, but uh, the actual companies that offer OpenStack distribution or OpenStack services, this is probably uh, um, the first summit where we have less of. Mm -hmm. Because uh, during the last uh, six months or so, uh, the market has gone through a wave of consolidation. And uh, this is the consolidation that I predicted would happen um, back last year. Um, but basically, 
um, you know, what, what happened, market has shaken out. And uh, a lot of the uh, kind of smaller startups got acquired. Some of them got acquired. Some of them have just gone out of business and completely pivoted away from OpenStack. So today, uh, the OpenStack distribution landscape looks very different than just six months ago. It's much cleaner. Um, a lot of the smaller guys have gone away, either for acquisition or just pivoting away. Um, and uh, we today have emerged as uh, the, you know, the, by far the largest kind of a breakaway uh, independent leader uh, that focused only on OpenStack. And, uh, you know, the traditional big guys um, that, you know, are, are um, always present in this kind of market like Red Hat or Canonical or HP are really kind of the only guys that we are really competing with today. So it's already started to happen. Yeah. Um, when you look at the trend in the same time frame, what has changed inside of the conversations with enterprise in terms of their sophistication and what they're seeking to gain in their organizations through adoption of OpenStack? Yeah, so, well, what has changed is that uh, enterprises started actually paying attention to OpenStack. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like any... Um, open source new technology, OpenStack has gone through the natural evolution of first being kind of uh, adopted by the tech-savvy guys and then being adopted by less tech-savvy guys and then finally getting adopted by more of a mainstream enterprise segment. So OpenStack been around for over four years now, but it's only really the last 12 months that uh, enterprises started to look at OpenStack for doing anything serious. The buzz has kind of uh, reached the critical mass. Now, as far as the use cases, this is an interesting uh, uh, question. So I think that uh, the predominant use case for OpenStack in the enterprise that we see today is exactly identical to the use case, the original use case that OpenStack had uh, when it was adopted by the large um, SaaS and web guys. Mm -hmm. And that use case is basically... Uh, um, OpenStack as a data center-wide um, web server. Um, so, because, you know, if you think about it, um, what happened, um, you know, as, as we moved into kind of this e-commerce era, some of the big guys have evolved to deal with a very large data center scale um, and run very large, sophisticated web properties um, at that scale. Um, all of them have, you know, a lot of developers that are continuously building different services that basically are aimed to support their you know website in very plain terms be it ebay paypal webex workday some of these guys that are the early adopters of openstack mm -hmm. now um the interesting trend in the enterprise is that um in general you know um as as uh, kind of technology world is evolving. Um, a lot of enterprises are undergoing transformation where they're becoming more and more of technology companies themselves. Mm -hmm. So companies in the financial services sector, like like banking, where um, you know end user self service is very important. It's very important for them to have a very robust and uh, well operating web property. Where mm -hmm. they you know like companies like Wells Fargo are effectively kind of competing with the likes of PayPal nowadays. If you go to the media sector, um, you know yesterday. It was all about, you know, um, videotapes and newspapers and magazines. Now it's all about web video and, you know, web content. Right. So all of the media companies are basically operators of large web properties. Um, and you can keep going on and on with examples. But the idea is that... Uh, um, 
now that this is happening in the enterprise, and now that the uh, you know the, the large web guys like the Googles and the WebExes of the world have shown the standard for how to run the infrastructure, the enterprise guys want to do it the same way. And first, OpenStack you know became very common platform for the web SaaS guys, and now the enterprise is dealing with the same exact problems of managing large-scale web properties. They want to do it the same way, and OpenStack is the is the answer for them to do that. So, um, be it enterprise or you know the early stages of adoption in uh, SaaS and web, the use case actually remains the same. It's just the difference is that the enterprise is more conservative, and they just started really using OpenStack for that use case during the last 12 months or so. Now, you, you hit on the, the next question when you said the enterprise is more conservative. Yep. What is it like to work with an enterprise through this adoption cycle? And is it more a technology transition or a um, personnel transition in terms of the way they adopt OpenStack? It's a combination of both. So typically the way it works is, um, you know, the enterprises have a lot of legacy, both in terms of technology and in terms of mindset. And uh, you would have some kind of uh, group inside that wants to do things the, you know, the Google way. And they are the proponents of doing the Google way in Wells Fargo or in, you know, Fidelity or something like that. Um, and uh, they typically need to find the path of least resistance to teach the enterprise how to do things the Google way, how to operate their web properties is the Google way. And this involves naturally, you know, just like internal selling and kind of just, you know, mind, mindset transformation. But it's also very important to find the path of least resistance uh, from the technology standpoint. So a good example of that is uh, if you look at, you know, most of the enterprises, what, what they run um, as far as operations and IT is concerned is the VMware stack. This is pretty much, you know, majority of the enterprise cloud today that we call enterprise cloud is, is basically VMware. Um, and uh, the only way um, in many instances to penetrate into the enterprise with OpenStack is to have some sort of story around OpenStack integration with VMware, which is something that we also realized a while ago and we've partnered with VMware um, about a year ago. We've uh, done a very robust out-of-the-box integration between Mirantis OpenStack and VMware. Um, I'd argue that uh, you know Mirantis OpenStack integration with VMware is probably even tighter than the VMware's flavor of OpenStack. Mm -hmm. um, and today, you can literally take Marantz OpenStack out of the box, go through kind of an intuitive installation wizard, configure how to connect your OpenStack environment to your vCenter environment, mm -hmm. push the button, up and out of the box will work. And uh, going this path uh, enables you to not to go against the grain of you know this VMware mindset, but go with the grain. So you don't say, you know, take VMware, throw it away because it's, you know, the old stuff and the new stuff is all OpenStack. What you do is you layer OpenStack on, on top of VMware and all of the VMware operators and users that are used to VMware stack are also getting exposed to OpenStack at the same time. So, uh, being able to go with the grain, uh, with the existing technology stacks, is very important to uh, um, you know the, the adoption of OpenStack sure. and enterprise today. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. I know that you guys work with a lot of telcos as well. Yes. And obviously, a major opportunity there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So this is a. Uh, um, Definitely a very big opportunity. Um, it's uh, 
different than with web SaaS and enterprise use case. Um, it, it's similar in some ways, but um, it's it's largely different. So um, OpenStack in telco today um, is all about NFV, uh, which is network function virtualization. Um, so the, the telcos today are undergoing kind of an interesting transformation where um, the um, kind of hardware uh, plane of the networking side of things that they use is going for a certain disaggregation between actually the physical hardware and the logic that historically has been embedded in it. So in very plain terms, historically, telcos would engage with you know large telco providers like you know, Cisco or Ericsson or Huawei that will ship very expensive uh, pre-integrated boxes that uh, will do you know layer two for layer seven networking for, at telco scale. Um, and uh, these boxes are not horizontally scalable. So if you need more capacity, you physically need to buy a new box. And the box is expensive, the box breaks down. So uh, many problems with it. So this new transformation around NFV is all about this disaggregation, where instead of using the box, you actually take commodity x86 gear, um, or maybe you work with somebody like Quanta, like uh, an ODM like Quanta, where mm -hmm. you tell them, I need specifically this kind of gear, right? And then you build your data center on complete commodity gear, and then on top of that, you overlay um, what you know one would refer to in the telco space as a virtual infrastructure manager, VIM, they mm -hmm. call it, uh, which is basically um, um, like a, a layer uh, on top of a data center that 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 responsible for the uh, virtualization orchestration. Right. Um, and inside the virtual machines, then that run on top of that virtualization layer, you encapsulate different network functions. So you would have like a virtual switch or a virtual firewall or a virtual VPN service. Mm -hmm. And uh, with, this, with this fashion, not only is it cheaper because you're running commodity hardware while taking advantage of all this software innovation that is happening, that is done by many different providers, you can also uh, spin up different network functions on demand, right? So going back to this example, you can go to uh, uh, AT&T, for instance, go to their website and say that, okay, I need to create a VPN between my data center and AT&T here and data center and AT&T there. And you literally just go through the portal and you know push the buttons and the stuff happens. And on the back end, what happens is uh, you know OpenStack would spin up a VM inside of which there will be a, a VPN appliance and uh, it will create the tunnel for you. Um, so this degree of uh, end user self-service and end user automation is... Uh, Another very important thing that is being enabled by uh, um, OpenStack in the uh, telco space. So that's that's kind of a summary of, of the use case. Telco industry tends to be even more conservative yeah. than enterprise IT. So what is the business driver, do you think, that's making them consider an open source solution? Um, I think that in, in all honesty, the use case, I, I agree that telcos are more conservative. On the other side, I would argue that probably the use case for OpenStack, uh, which is the one that I've just mm -hmm. described, for telco space is uh, um, more valuable um, and uh, more kind of, uh, you know, it, it, it uh, penetrates on uh, more of an immediate need than, mm -hmm. than, than with the enterprise because this, this uh, NFV transformation in telco, it's, it's very profound. Um, whereas enterprises 
transforming into technology companies is a slower process and it doesn't span all kinds of enterprises. But if you look at carriers and like carrier side of telcos, the NFT thing is very profound across the board and everybody's accepted that this is the way to do things. So on one hand, they tend to be more conservative. On the other hand, they're undergoing a much more profound and faster transformation with this NFV uh, uh, kind of a, a cycle than, than the enterprises with you know our websites now important to us cycle. So Boris, I, I know that we've got a limited time left. I just have one more question for you. In terms of Marantis's focus at this show, uh, what are the what is the key thing that you're trying to get across to the community and to customers? Well, I think that uh, the important thing for us um, going forward is uh, to further foster the adoption of our distribution. And we understand that the way to do it is, uh, you know, naturally you have to build a good product that works and, you know, caters to the operators. But uh, what you also want to do is you want to enable the end user tenants. And these tenants can be either developers or it can be some particular workloads that run on your distribution. Um, so um, what, we, what we've been doing recently um, is piloting kind of an interesting program, which is, uh, um, we call it Mirantis OpenStack Express. It's uh, an on-demand hosted version of our distribution. And uh, some people take it wrong in, in the sense that they say, like, okay, well, you're competing with Amazon or service providers. That's not at all what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is uh, give a vehicle um, either to developers or to uh, companies that write workloads that are likely like uh, that, that need to take advantage of a distributed infrastructure and uh, that want to run on OpenStack, uh, a sandbox to effectively get in and quickly try and adopt specifically our flavor of distribution. So we're working with uh, guys like uh, Cloud Foundry, for instance, mm -hmm. or Docker, or uh, different companies that do uh, you know innovative stuff in the networking space like Avi Network. Works, we have an announcement, whom all are basically taking their solutions and are um, um, putting them on Mirantis OpenStack Express so mm -hmm. that organizations can quickly come and say, okay, this is what you know, Cloud Foundry on Mirantis Op OpenStack on-prem would look like, but I don't want to do an expensive POC to actually install it. I just go to Mirantis OpenStack Express right away, push the button, and I get the same exact experience that I would on-prem. Sure. And uh, uh, kind of driving this adoption around the things that don't just plug in under OpenStack, but plug in from on top or run on top is kind of the next wave that we're looking towards. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join us on ChipChat. We hope to have you back on the program again soon. All right. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Visit ChipChat online at intel.com slash chipchat. And for more information on data center technologies, visit intel.com slash bigdata, intel.com slash cloud, and intel.com slash data center optimization. 